will complete its application that I start today, next week, and then the week after that, I'm going to look at some theological doctrinal considerations out of the text. Uh, let's go to Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Even though we are speaking about God's providence today, we will not really see God's providence until next week. All right, so I'll let you know that right now. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Patmos and came to Perga of Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went from Perga and came to Antioch of Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, that's Paul and Barnabas, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. And for 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Excuse me. Something happened here. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, of the man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he has promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is one come in the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfill them by condemning him. And though they found him in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised them from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purposes of God to his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that though this man that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, and be astounded, and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. 
And they went out. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turned to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word never, ever will never has returned void. It accomplishes everything it has set out to do. It did in the day of Isaiah when he penned it. It's done in the days of Jesus when he preached and they crucified him. It was fulfilled in the days of the Apostle Paul and for 2,000 years into this very moment of human history, no preaching about Jesus Christ has ever been null and void. It has always produced that which you have sent it out to, Father God. The word is alive, the word is active, and you stand behind this living word because you hold your word above your own name, Father God. This message of eternal life, Father God. Let us stand in awe of the message that Paul preached this day in this synagogue They had no idea when they walked in that Sunday morning that two people were going to be sitting there that were going to bring the greatest sermon they ever heard. It was not an ordinary day in the synagogue. No, the message of eternal life showed up in Jesus' name. As I've gone through this text over the last couple of weeks, And I'm looking forward to preaching on these 40-something verses, and it's going to take me three weeks to do it. You know, I I just reminded me when I first came to Christ. And I I want everybody to think about that time and that season in your life when you came to Christ. Maybe you can remember the day, maybe you can remember the time, the sermon, the people, or maybe it was just a sort of vague time in your life you remember, but it was real. Maybe you can remember some of the details of your life at that time. I remember so many details of what I was going through personally in my own life. Some good, not some not so good. Maybe some of the specific sins and the consequences of those sins that were there, that we were running away from and didn't realize until we heard the message of life. And then life became clear to us. And the last, the the. the Missing piece to the puzzle of life was there named Jesus and the redemption and the forgiveness and the hope and the peace that he gave us. 
or maybe some of the confusion that was going on in life. What's life all about? Or maybe you can remember some of the self-deception, like thinking, who needs to give this? I'm not a sinner. Religion, I'm a religious person. I'm a good person. Maybe you can remember that self-deception. Maybe you didn't really think you needed redemption. And maybe you don't remember, or maybe you do, who was it that led you to Christ? Who were the first people started telling you about Jesus? How did you get from out in the world to become a Christian? Who was the catalyst? Who were the people God raised up to talk to you about Jesus Christ? And the circumstances that surrounded their life. The circumstances that are surrounding Paul's life that the text don't bring to, I'll bring out next week. There's a lot going on here that this synagogue heard the message. They were not on Paul's radar. Paul wasn't going there. But he had a bodily ailment that drove him to go to the north country where the weather was better. I'll speak about that later. But there were circumstances in his life that drove him to this congregation. There were circumstances in all the people that led us to Christ. Their personal hardships that kept them close and obedient to Christ. And that's what hardship does. Hardship keeps Christians, guess what? Close to Christ. Where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. That's one of the telltale signs of where someone is in their spiritual life. Hard times drive the Christian to Christ with their tears. Not away from Christ with their questions of why me, why me? We run to Christ. We run to Christ with our pain. Paul had a lot of pain. How about that famous verse of scripture? I pleaded with God three times to remove what? We all know that, right? It's the thorn that drove Paul to this synagogue. I'll clarify today and next week. And can you remember the joy of salvation? Can you remember how it felt to be saved? I remember when I walked out of that church, I shared it many times. That day I was saved, I knew it. I walked out with the Bible in my hand and the three things I knew. I knew Jesus Christ is God, unequivocally. I knew my sins were forgiven. And I knew the Word of God, the Bible was the Word of God. Those are the things that captivated my mind and heart to this day, almost 30 years later. Nothing has changed. Captivated. Jesus Christ is God. My sins are forgiven. And the Bible is the Word of the living God. It was all imbued that day into my heart. Think about when you first got saved. Think about the joy. Maybe we all experienced it a little different. But inside my heart was this burning joy and happiness. I could not wait to go to church and worship God with other people. I couldn't wait. Little did we know then, all that was taking place. Now please bring yourself back. Little did we know then that everything that had taken place behind the scenes was the working out of God's providence and plan for your life. Everything, every detail, every self-inflicted wound and its consequences, God took into his plan and make it work for our good. 
Surely Paul can say that nothing can separate us from God and that all things work together for good. His providence is behind everything. How he controls everything done in life to bring about the glorious day of salvation. Please, it's a great mistake to think that we're all here just by mere chance. That we, get, we, had, we got saved because it was by a chance or a coincidence. God does nothing by chance. Every detail, everyone, God is at work to bring us closer to himself. A matter of fact, it's not by chance. It's actually engineered by God. Engineered by God. The people that led us to Christ, their personal hardships that bring them into our life, their own hopes, their own obedience that bring them to witness to us. Think about the people that led you to Christ. Can you remember their names? Tell me, did they have an easy life? I can say here under God's authority in my own experience that most people that are obedient to Christ in sharing the message of salvation suffer some of the greatest hardships in the Christian life. And one of the reasons is because they, they, they share Christ. You're going to see how Paul suffered to bring the message. I know people are bringing the message to me, they suffered. Because there's a world that doesn't want to hear the message. There's a world that doesn't want to hear about the people that give the message. And there's a devil that wants nothing to do with us, who hates us. And also your own heart issues. Where were you? Was it addiction? Was it abuse? Was it just empty religion? Was there a conflict of conscience? Or was it just a plain life that didn't make no sense? Where were you? Were you happy, joyous, and free? Or were you really, something was going on in your life that things really weren't that great? God uses all these circumstances to bring about our salvation. And this is one of the main themes in our story tonight. We're not going to see this clearly tonight. I will bring it out next week. You will see it clearly next week, everything I just spoke about. I'm first going to address this text historically with a couple of uh, applications. And next week I'll really get behind. I'll put some, uh, put some meat on these bones. Let me give you historically. Paul and Barnabas on the beginnings of their first missionary endeavor. This is what we read the first 12 verses. They first sailed from Cyprus where they went to the Jews. And that's what they do. They always went to the Jew first. But we see here that not, not much is said about that ministry to the Jews. They went there, they preached, they left. We don't know anything about any kind of fruit, anything there. That's in the first 12 verses. But they did go to the political capital, Pathmos. And while they were there, they encountered this false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And there's a reason for it. But after silencing him through apostolic authority and calling down blindness on him, the proconsul Sergius Paulus believed in the teaching and the explanation about Jesus Christ. The one man you would want converted on that island, God made sure he was converted. The one man, I'm sure it was more converts, the point is the text has shown us that all the hostilities that Satan can throw against Paul and Barnabas could not stop them, could not stop God from converting that one leader. That's what Luke, the historian, wants us to know. 
Our text tonight brings us up to date. The missionaries then bought a boat to the mainland of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. It's the southern border of Turkey. And you would think, well, what does that have to do with me, Brian? As a matter of fact, that has nothing to do with you, to tell you the truth. But why they left there and went somewhere else has everything to do with you. What looks like a flash visit without any ministry, the missionaries moved quickly to the interior mountainous region of central Turkey. What does that have to do with me, Brian? A, a place called Antioch of Pisidia. Now, I'm going to put up Galatians chapter 4. And I want you uh, to see this. Brothers, this is the church that they went to. You ready? Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not, you did not scorn or despise me. But receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Let me explain something to you. When Paul left Cyprus to go preach, somewhere in the interim, he contacted malaria that attacked his eyes. Like a real bad case of pink. It's your own pink eye. It's hard to look at. You know, it's congealed. It's, it's, it's disgusting. Paul had a terrible case. But you see, Paul had to go to Galatia, which was probably about 4,000 feet above sea level. He had to get off the mainland. He couldn't preach there. He was sick. So he went there to convalesce. But what do two people do when you think... Two Jews, no matter how sick they are on Sabbath, where are they going to go? And while they were there, they were asked, hey, brothers, you got an encouraging word? What a loaded question. You're asking Paul and Barnabas, do you have a word from the Lord for the congregation? There's only God can make this up. As Pastor John was saying, you can't believe it. Only God can do this. God orchestrated everything for these people that were ordained to eternal life. They were ordained. Paul had no, he wasn't going there. But he had to go there because he was sick. And while he was there, he went to church on Saturday. And while he was sitting there in church on Saturday, they asked, brothers, do you have a word from the Lord? You've got to be kidding me. You can't make it up. God's providence. Are you with me? They were showing up to a Sabbath day like any other Sabbath day. But little did they realize God showed up. And those who were ordained to eternal life heard the message of their salvation. And they rejoiced. Just like you and I rejoiced when I came into church because I thought my sister-in-law bring my wife to some strange thing and I wanted to go see what was going on. And every time I came, the music melted my heart. I wasn't here for God. I was here, I wanted to know what was going on. But after two or three weeks, I was here because I heard something the week before that got me to come back the week after. And something to come back the week after. Until one day I realized I too was ordained to 
And I too left rejoicing. And all the hardships that people go through that witness about Christ. You show me someone witnessing Christ and I'll show you someone who goes through hardships. It comes with the territory. Those who speak for Christ suffer for Christ. Paul suffered. And when he beseeched Christ three times to remove this thorn in the flesh, this eye ailment, God said, my grace is sufficient. It didn't stop the Galatians from believing, even though they could barely look at you. They still loved you as an angel from the Lord. They still loved you as Christ himself. Just goes to show you that what goes on today in preaching in, in, in church life, you know, you got to be, you got to look hip. You got to sound hip. You got to dress hip. You got to have the light show church that's hip. Otherwise, people don't want to hear it. Paul couldn't be the further away. He's the quintessential, had to depend on God preacher. He didn't look the part. He didn't sound the part. As a matter of fact, if you looked at him long enough, you probably grossed out because, as he says, because of the ailment of his eyes. He was so bad, they would have gouged out their own eyes to give to him. He wasn't there to preach. He was there to get help. And while he was there, they asked him to preach. Think about it. What a loaded question. And while they were there, they entered, like I said, the synagogue. After the normal protocol of reading the Old Testament readings, the synagogue official asked Paul and Barnabas if they had any encouragement from the Lord. That's tradition. In the synagogue, when two people came in, understand something about the synagogue. The synagogue would have had all the Jews in the front, and any Gentile was entertaining, even a proselyte would have had to stay in the back, usually behind a veil. They were segregated from the congregation. And from there, when, the, when Paul and Barnabas came in, they would have realized there's two travelers. They came in. They probably just they didn't realize there were two rabbis, and they were going to get the message of the gospel. What a loaded question. Little did the people in that room know what was about to take place. The greatest sermon they've ever heard in their life. They were going to experience the greatest joy they've ever experienced. They never even heard of such an experience of the joy of salvation. But for others, it's going to be great sorrow and jealousy and resentment. Because the word of God never returns void. As Pastor John preached last week, the truth tells you you have to make a decision. That's why the word of God never comes back void. Just like Isaiah the prophet says, understand something. The word's going to reveal God's grace to you, or it's going to reveal the hatred people have for God. It reveals one or the other. This great joy, this experience of salvation that so many of them experience, just by hearing a message about Jesus. Think about it.
just hearing a message. It never ceases to amaze me how Christians, they get saved and there's a joy and there's a happiness, but then after that, it's like almost their ears have got clogged. And it's like, I, I think I can hear, go like this, put your ears over your head, please, over your ears. Press in, hard. Come on, Bruce Brown, get your ears up there. Now talk to yourself, say something, how does it sound? For many people, that's what it's like when God's talking to them. Does it make sense? They can't hear the message of God and the message, they can't hear God's voice anymore. And that is the biggest thing for me as a pastor, the indifference that many Christians begin to suffer. They get saved and as their salvation goes on, their hearing becomes less. Spiritual madness. They don't hear. You got saved. When I got saved, I saw no miracle. I heard the voice of God. When you got saved, you heard the voice of God. When Lazarus was called from the grave, he heard the voice of God. That's it. No tricks. What have God to do tricks for us? I don't need a light show. I don't need fog. I don't need lava lamps. I don't need hipsters. I need the word of God. They rejoiced in the word of God. Nothing else. They didn't need anything else to stimulate them but the truth of Jesus Christ. That's it. Praise God. But we live in a culture today that has to dress everything up. Let's make the bloody cross acceptable. Let's make it look good. But listen, as was Paul's custom in the synagogue preaching, he begins with the promises made to the fathers. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to critique his message a little bit. Then he moves on from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promises made to them to Moses and their deliverance from Egypt. Then their wilderness wanderings for 40 years. Then he speaks about the conquering of Canaan under Joshua's ministry. Then he speaks about the judges and their ministry. Then he goes to Samuel and his ministry. Then he goes to King David and his ministry. Highlighting all the way through his sermon of God's provision of judges and deliverers for the people. To the fathers, to Moses, Joshua, the book of Judges, Samuel, Saul, King David. He's moving forward to the great deliverer and savior Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the trajectory of the sermon. You know what's great? They were listening to the trajectory of the sermon. It was leading somewhere. He reminds them of John the Baptist's ministry. When I get to Acts 19, you'll see why they knew about John the Baptist's ministry. If you want to go home and read, go ahead. They were familiar with John the Baptist's ministry, the synagogue, and the Christ, and then to Christ, that Christ could not come without a messenger, according to Malachi the prophet, that I would send one, a forerunner before you. They knew that. There had to be a criteria met, which leads them naturally to preaching about Christ. 
first is sent by God, then how he then how he was rejected by Israel's leadership without any evidence to condemn him, they condemned him to die. All according to what was written. Listen, Paul always says, as it is written, if you're going to speak to the Jew, you have to go with this. It is written. It is written. Matter of fact, there's no one we can go to anyone and say, it is written. All of their rebellion against God's anointed was already written in the prophets that they read every Sabbath. Then after laying his body in the tomb. Listen, this is a congregation that's listening. They're listening to every word this Jewish preacher has to say. Even though his eyeballs are all over the place. Even though it's a disgusting tomb to look at him. But he's preaching. And they're listening to every word. Every person whose heart was right with God. Whether they were Jew or God fear. Was listening to every word by Paul. And their heart was growing to spiritual anticipation. Then at the saddest part of the sermon, when all hope was gone, when the dead Savior was laid in the tomb, Paul ends in verse 30, but God raised him from the grave. And all those who generally listened, whose heart was right, rejoiced. And so it is when John preaches and I preach. It's sad to think you can preach a message about Jesus Christ and his people in the congregation falling asleep breaks my heart breaks my heart and how Jesus continued his ministry to the saints appearing to many over 40 days and now Paul who was an eyewitness to all this took place took his place, stands before this congregation preaching the gospel. But it's not over. Paul goes on to prove from the scriptures that God raised Jesus Christ from the grave. He didn't come with his feelings. He didn't come with his opinions. He didn't come with his epiphanies. He didn't come with his own revelations. He came with the scriptures and that alone, he rested everything on the scriptures quoting the Psalms of David, but he reminds this congregation who thought that David was speaking of himself, that David died. But David saw corruption. And Paul had to tell him David saw corruption, but Jesus did not. Paul's next move in his sermon was to point to the mission of God's anointed, the remission of personal sins. By the time Christ came, the Jew was so far gone thinking they needed personal salvation. They just thought they were children of Abraham and they were going to heaven. Roman Catholics, Greek Orthodox today, everybody just thinks they're just going to heaven. The pastor's son, the pastor's child just thinks they're going to go to heaven. Someone took an altar call, they're just going to go to heaven. I go to Sonship Ministries, I'm just going to go to heaven. No, it's about the remission of sins and genuine personal repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's what saves someone. To the pure, all things are pure. He goes on to say that the guilt... That Moses is teaching, no matter how much you read Moses, Sabbath after Sabbath, could never free you from sin or the guilt and the shame of sin. 
Never. This is bold. He went into their synagogue. They asked him to preach. And he said, the Psalms and the law that you read, it's over. It can't do anything for you. The promise has been fulfilled. Jesus Christ has come. Amen. What a time for an old call. If anybody's feeling the spirit call. He doesn't say that. He gets twice as bold. He goes, look, you scoffers. Be astonished and perish, for I'm doing a new work in your days. A work that if you will not believe, even if one tells you. He warns them not to harden their hearts as God had predicted. Where's this kind of preaching today? You go to churches, they'll never tell you a warning. I'm here to tell you, if you can hear me, you can see me. Don't reject salvation. It's bad. Don't reject it. Don't harden your hearts as they did in the desert when God comes to visit you. Wow. What a difference from so much preaching today. Where preachers preaches God's forgiveness without ever warning of what happens to a person that hears and rejects the good news. Solomon says it's better never to have been born. Paul is not being self-righteous. He loves his fellow Jews, Romans chapter 9. He loves them. He loved this congregation. He loved this synagogue. And he loves them so much, he knows their personal propensity to rejecting God's fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. He's been at this a long time. He's preaching well over 15 years. And he warns them, be careful to reject this message. It's only right to warn them against themselves. Not Satan, ourselves. Don't think you can hide behind Abraham. It's time to come out and find the remission of your sins. Stop hiding behind your altar call. Stop hiding behind your uncle who's a pastor. Stop hiding behind your father. Stop hiding behind your wife. Stop hiding behind your husband. Come on out. Do not harden your heart. And come and find salvation in Jesus Christ. All he has to do is to trust in God's providence. That's what preachers do. That's what ministers do. That's what missionaries do. You trust that God's behind everything. Listen. Please listen. No altar call. No coffee in the back of the synagogue. They left. And guess who left with them? All those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Bible says that the crowd was begging them. Not the whole crowd. A lot of people didn't want to hear what Paul had to say. But the Gentiles that were behind the veil, segregated from the congregation, who knew about the provision, 
to Abraham that all the world would be blessed through you, that one day the Savior was going to come and be a light to the Gentiles. They knew that promise, and they held on to that promise as they were behind the veil, as they were back in the congregation, in the back of the synagogue, segregated from everybody else. When Paul said, it's now going to be a light to the Gentiles, they rose up and rejoiced. They heard the message. Praise God, there's always people hearing the message. Always. God's sermon can even reach the back of the synagogue. I hope you don't miss that. It would break God's heart if you missed how God operates. You know, we can sit here and quote that no one comes to me unless what? Listen, look at the whole process of God drawing them. We have a sick preacher who goes north into the hill country to convalesce. While he was there, he does what a good Jew does, even if he's sick. You go to church, you go to synagogue. And while he was there, Providence says, Do you have a word? And he gets up, probably wasn't feeling that word, he preached. And those who are ordained to eternal life believe. God's providence. A hungry crowd is following them, asking and begging them to preach more about God's grace. The next week, the whole town turns out. That's what the word of God does when God's touching. The whole town turns out. Their hearts were stirred up to faith and shared it with other people. When the synagogue officials saw the crowds, probably many Gentiles, and Luke is careful to say they were filled with jealousy. Does that sound familiar? Guess who else was filled with jealousy? The Pharisees were filled with jealousy because the crowds were following Jesus Christ. One commentator says, not just jealousy, but vengeful, resentful jealousy. You see, they didn't like Paul, nor did they like the Gentiles anymore. It wasn't just Paul. It was the people that listened to Paul. They hated him. Paul again speaks out boldly and points to the real problem. He has to show themselves, or they show themselves, unworthy of eternal life. Anyone who hears about Jesus Christ and does not come, guess what? Shows themselves unworthy of eternal life. Period. Now to the Gentiles, Paul says, they're going to go as a light of salvation. When the Gentiles heard this, they broke out in praise and rejoicing, glorifying the word of God. All God's saving work within human history, listen, all God's saving work within human history through the Jews was now going to express itself mainly, but not solely, through Gentile converts. Did you know that? 
the new Israel that you and me. The new Israel. When Paul says, from now on we go to the Gentiles, he wasn't just saying, well, while we're in this town, Paul knew he was on hostile territory. He always went to the synagogue, and we're going to see there was a couple of synagogues that believed in him and followed him. But on a whole, he was persecuted and stoned out of every one of them. God was going to show himself strong to the world through the Gentile convert. And Luke adds some personal insight. I'll speak about this next week for the next two weeks. That all those who were appointed to eternal life believed. After the preaching ministry ended and Paul rebukes the hardened hearts of the unbelieving Jews, the Jews stir up trouble by leveraging, leveraging the prominent men and women in the city who were part of the congregation only for social prestige and not out of religious convictions. A lot of famous people, rich people, prominent people like to go to church. Did you know that? But they don't follow Christ. Not all of them. They were part of the congregation for nothing less than social prestige. Not at any deep religious convictions. Let me go to an application. As it is written, quoting scripture and explaining scripture are two different things. It's important as Christians not just to quote the scripture but explain it. Let me explain something to you in our text tonight as you go through the book of Acts. We get sort of a, a, a parameter of what took place. This sermon was a lot longer than four paragraphs. Paul's known to preach all night long. Most likely Paul explained through the Lord and the prophets for several hours of preaching and explanation. All we got is a sort of outline of the preaching. Trust me, when Paul gave an outline, Luke gives us the outline, but Paul explained every jot and tittle of how Jesus Christ fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament. That's power. Knowledge is power. When you understand the gospel and you can articulate it, guess what? You can't wait to articulate it. You love to articulate. I just love articulate. I just love when the Jews come around. I know one of the young brothers in, this, in the congregation was talking to some Jews on the, on the train. And I don't say that in a derogatory way. I'm just saying the Jewish person. And he explained, they asked him if he was Jewish, and, but he explained to them their own Jewish faith. You see, that's what we're called to do. We're called to know and to be bold and say no. And if you don't know it, you stand up and say no. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is Messiah. You tell the Muslim, you tell the Jew, you tell anybody. Maybe you can't answer every question, but this you know. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Amen. He is God Almighty in the flesh. That's it. That's it. Don't wait around to hear applause. Don't wait around to hear a convert. Don't, don't let anyone put Christ down. Jesus Christ is God. Let everyone know. Period. Do it lovingly. But make sure they hear when they laugh and they scoff at you. Because they will. It happens to me all the time. Oh, look at this poor Christian with his Bible. You tell someone, Jesus Christ is God. They will be accountable 
for that on the day of judgment. If it doesn't lead to salvation. And if you can't explain it, do everything you can to bring someone to a church that does. Amen? And as I said before, the word of God never returns void. God's providence is, is, is pushing this whole text forward. God's behind the whole thing. I'm going to explain it all next week. We're going to go over these verses and I will explain God's providence step by step by step. And then we'll look into our own life and say, well, that's God's providence. Why? This is why. You know what my hope is? That you'll fall in love with God again. That's my hope. That people who are indifferent, people at Sonship Ministries that are indifferent to Jesus, who just go to church, who just show up, who just go to work, who never bring salvation to the world, who don't wake up saying, praise God I'm born again. Praise God I'm saved. Praise God I'm going to tell someone about Christ today. Praise the living God. That's my prayer and that's my hope. Father, we know the word of God never returns void. I love this congregation, Father. And I pray, Father God, as you're blessing everyone in this congregation, God, give them the greatest blessing there is to be totally in love with Jesus and the message of salvation, Father. Let their hearts be filled. I pray that everyone in this room is hungering to get back here next week to hear the rest of the message about those who are ordained to eternal life and they believe, God. Let them come out. Let them tell others, Father God, of this great salvation. Little did people know today when they heard, when they walked in what they were going to hear. God, help us and bless us. You're so good to your children, God. You love us so very much, God. So very much you love us and you want us to be filled. Even Jesus teaches us, if you need something, ask your Father and he will give you of the Holy Spirit. He knows what you need. God, bless this church. Bless every congregant with an outpouring and touch of grace of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.